This sermon was recorded at Christ Church Overland Park, a congregation that seeks to be a people fully alive in God's kingdom. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Good morning. One of the most precious and sacred memories I have experienced as a parent is when both of my children were first born. You know, the nurses took them and immediately placed them in their mother's arms. And they explained to us how these first few moments create this unbreakable bond uh, that is imprinted on both mother and child. So for the first few hours of my kids' lives, they just laid there quietly sleeping, and it was amazing just to behold, to witness this relationship unfolding in real time, this bond of life, this special connection. There's nothing quite like it. In this week's final word from John's Gospel, the importance of family is a central theme, and particularly this special relationship between Jesus and his mother. Jesus hangs on the cross, suffering, while in the background, uh, soldiers cast lots for his clothing. And standing there is Mary, his mother, along with other women, likely his aunt, and a disciple the gospel calls the beloved, whom many scholars believe was John, the son of Zebedee, a cousin of Jesus. And in these final moments, while many of the disciples had fled or kept their distance for fear of losing their own lives, Jesus is surrounded by his family. And it says they were standing, quote, next to the cross. Mary was close enough to see every wound. She could hear every labored breath, every mocking word from the crowd and the soldiers. She saw them pierce Jesus' side. She could reach out and touch the nails on her, on her son's feet. Can you imagine? I wonder if she recounted memories of holding Jesus as a newborn, him lying on her chest, caring for him, in her arms, the Son of God and the Son of Man, and in a few short hours, she would hold him again like this. And I wonder if she recalled the words of the prophet Simeon who spoke over Jesus when he was just a baby, just a few days old in the temple, and told Mary that a sword would pierce her own soul. She was feeling that piercing. In this 
sacred moment. Jesus looks at his dear mother and then to the beloved disciple and he speaks these words. Woman, here is your son. And then to the disciple, here is your mother. It says from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. What was happening on the cross as Jesus spoke these words? What was he doing for his mother? What was he doing for us? I want to suggest two things. He was providing comfort and grief, and he was creating a community of care. Jesus provided comfort for his grieving mother. This is one of the most vulnerable moments, I think, in the Gospels. And it's a moment in particular where we are confronted with the very real emotional and relational impact of the crucifixion. Not just for Jesus, but for those who loved and knew him best, for his family. But Jesus was fully aware and he was fully present to his mother in this moment. As Mary's soul was pierced with grief, Jesus provided for her comfort, even security. Her needs were on his mind. Since he was unable to care for presumably his widowed mother, Jesus transfers this sacred responsibility to the beloved disciple whom he trusted. Uh, the, the language here, here is your son, here is your mother, it even echoes the kind of vows in the ancient world that were used in marriage. You know, there, There's a vow taking place. There's a, a transfer of relationship happening in this moment. He charges the beloved disciple to care for Mary as he would his own mother. What a responsibility. What an honor. And this disciple had received. There's one tradition that says that this beloved disciple was the Apostle John and that he took her to live just outside the city of Ephesus. Uh, several years ago, I had the privilege of visiting this location where Mary supposedly lived. Today, it looks like this. It is a small house, stone building. It dates back to the first century, and it's surrounded by this beautiful garden and olive groves, and it's just an amazing place. Mary went on to be a prominent disciple in the early church, a prominent voice, a prominent presence. And so we know that this disciple was faithful in that task. He took care of her. By ensuring Mary was cared for, Jesus was following the fifth commandment, which instructs us to honor our father and mother. In his moment of suffering, Jesus cares for the tangible needs of his mother, and he becomes a model for us for caring for our own families. And you know, some of us in this room, we have cared for parents, we have cared for children, or other family members who have great needs. And that road is not always easy. It can be full of suffering and hurt. But this passage assures us that we are in good company and that this is good and holy work when we care for our families. Jesus' care for Mary also tells us, I think, something about God's posture toward the grieving. Jesus offers this comfort as Mary is experiencing the most excruciating grief and loss imaginable. I mean, we think about it. She experienced the crucifixion in a way that no other human being ever has. This is why Mary is sometimes called Our Lady of Sorrows, full of grief, 
God's response to the grieving, I think, is evidence in this scene. Just as last week's last word with the criminals reminds us that Jesus is present with sinners, this week reminds us that Jesus is present with the grieving. As Psalm 34 says, he is close to the brokenhearted. And those of us who have experienced great loss, particularly within our families, we know the heart-piercing pain of grief. And I think Jesus here affirms that God is present, that God is attentive, and that he cares. The cross declares to us that God is present to those who suffer. Henry Nouwen, writing on grief, he says, Our grief makes us experience the abyss of our own life, in which nothing is settled, clear, or obvious. But in the midst of all this pain, there is a strange, shocking, yet very surprising voice. It is the voice of the one who says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he says, this is the unexpected news. There is blessing hidden in our grief. May Lent teach us, all of us, that the road of grief that Mary walked, that we walk, is not one we must do alone, and that it does not end in death, but ultimately resurrection. Thanks be to God. Jesus offered comfort for the grieving, but he was doing more than just taking uh, care of his earthly family. He was creating a community of care that would transcend this moment in time. As he looked down at this small group of people, including his mother and this beloved disciple, Jesus was inaugurating a new family that is bound by the Spirit. And at the center of this community is the crucified Jesus. As I reflected on this passage this week, I wondered to myself, like, why did Jesus wait until he was hanging on the cross to take care of these affairs with Mary, his mother? I mean, like, why not do it earlier, you know? If he knew it was coming, why wait? And I think that, at least in part, in these last words, Jesus wanted us to see his vision for the church, to see it. The church is not primarily an organization or an event or a program. It is a family, a society of love, love, a web of relationships grounded in God's grace with Christ right at the center. And the sign of this community of love is not uh, power or influence or wealth, but a cross. It takes the shape of Jesus, arms outstretched giving its life for the world. And when the church gets this right, it is a beautiful expression of the kingdom of God. And these last words remind us, I think, that Jesus wanted his disciples and he wants all of us to understand this. And I think the first disciples did. They lived out their faith as family. Acts 2, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and giving as people had need. The Apostle Paul, he references the church as family many times. Like in Romans 12, he says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Cyprian, the bishop of Carthage in 250 AD, he spoke about the Lord's Prayer, not uh, simply as an individual prayer, but as the prayer of God's family. This is what he wrote. He said, We do not say, My Father, who art in heaven, or give me this day my bread, 
He said, our prayer is public and common. And when we pray, we pray not for one, but for the whole people, because we, the whole people, are one. It's the family prayer, (laughs) y'all. The early church took care to serve the most vulnerable in society in ways that were really foreign in the ancient world. And they did so without political power or influence or fanfare. They simply began to live as family. The church took in widows and orphans and refugees, slaves and free, married and single, Jews and Gentiles, all could belong and find a home in this new community. It cared for the sick, the aged, the unborn, those who would otherwise be cast away in Roman society. The power of the church's life was not its influence, it was its compassion, and it was compelling. Jesus' last words still apply. (laughs) He looks at you and me as his people, and he says, hey, look around. This is your son. This is your daughter. This is your brother, your sister. He charges us to care for the ones he loves, to adopt one another as family. And you know, I have seen this teaching play out in the church over my life, and it is beautiful. Um, A while back, I asked some friends on social media to let me know, like, are there any times in your life when you have experienced the church as family? And uh, man, the testimony started flowing in. People shared how we're When they were sick, the church visited them and prayed for them and cared for them in tangible ways. Uh, A friend of mine suddenly lost her husband a few years ago, and she shared that on that night, a small group from her church showed up to mourn with her, and they helped her with funeral preparations. They brought food for her family. Uh, There was another friend of mine who wrote to me. She said, when my 16-year-old daughter found out she was pregnant, the church loved us through it. They surrounded us with care. I have my own stories of when I have been blown away by the church's compassion. And maybe you have a story too. There's evidence of this kind of radical care happening at Christ Church, by the way, almost every week. And, you know, most of it is never broadcast or even known. People are just quietly and faithfully being the church for each other. And it is awesome. I share this to encourage us. You are a wonderful, hospitable, loving church. But I also share it to challenge us, you know? You and I are living in a time where people are increasingly lonely and isolated, the most individualistic culture in history, where it almost seems like a badge of honor to be self-sustaining and not really need anyone else to get through life. In this culture, I think, too, the temptation, at least for the church, is to see it as one more thing we consume instead of a community to which we belong. But I think we all know that this runs counter to God's design for us. And we know that deep down, despite our best efforts to convince ourselves otherwise, that we really do need each other, you know? And we never know. When someone may walk through those doors or through the doors of your home or your workplace or your classroom 
and they need the embrace of a family. And that's what the church is called to be. Now, this is one of the reasons why gathering together in worship is central to our life together. It's why we have ministries of care like meal teams and prayer teams that help us carry the burdens of our lives so we don't have to do it alone. It's why we have lay chaplains. By the way, did you know that after communion, you know, these little black boxes down here, they're filled with bread and wine. And, you know, sometimes a deacon will come out and pray with people right here after communion. You know what that is? These are people who take communion to those who can't be here on Sundays. It's an extension of our worship and our care. It's why we do these things. It's also why being part of a small group is important to us. We can't care for each other if we don't know each other's needs. And we can't know each other's needs unless we take the risk of vulnerability. The church is a lot of things, but it is not automatic. Community and care don't happen by accident. Now, there are limitations on this metaphor of the church's family. I get that. And there are times when the church can feel like a dysfunctional family. Can I get an amen on that? Sometimes it can even cause harm. Lord, have mercy. The church makes mistakes, misses the mark, because it's full of imperfect people like you and me, right? But at its best, when Jesus is right at the center, the church is an instrument God uses to draw people to himself and extend care and mercy to the hurting, to the lonely, to the broken, to the grieving, to the struggling. His church, you, and I, we are the body of Christ. <laughs> Very practically, let me just encourage you to maybe share your needs with someone this week. They may not know. They may not know. You don't have to bear them alone. Be prayed for this morning in the service. Um, consider joining a group if you're not connected. Or perhaps maybe the Spirit would prompt you to check in on someone this week to extend care. You know, I think the world is watching and it's not looking for us to have the loudest megaphones or the biggest signs at protests or the best entertainment or even all the right answers. It's looking for a community that cares, that suffers with the hurting, a community that looks like the cross. As we hear Christ's words to his mother and his beloved disciple, let's hear them spoken to us. Here's your mother. Here is your son. God has called us beloved sons and daughters. So by the Spirit, let's live as family. Amen?